Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hey everyone, you are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye and Mayu Thava. Mayu, I am back. It's good to be back in one piece. <laughs> you yeah. seem tired, man. You seem tired as hell today. <laughs> yeah, I watched the Conor McGregor fight yesterday. So it was I was up until one and had a couple of drinks, woke up early and yeah. had to get some stuff done in the AM and then just filmed the podcast. So it's been a long day. It's been a very long day so far. On the polar opposite schedule, I've been... I'd say I've really been like cutting my sleep over the last like two, like ever since the new year's. Cause I'm always like, you know what? I'm going to be up every single day at like six 30 to seven between that range. But like, I'll never go to bed until like, like 1231, like sometimes like later than that. So I've just been like cutting my sleep. And then like yesterday I had a massive headache and I slept at like 9 PM woke mm-hmm. up at one. And then I was like up until like 4 AM just doing like nothing. Cause I oh, couldn't. No. Sleep. <laughs> yeah. You need to get out with you, Austin. What's, uh, what's new in the, the in life the of Austin? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So in, in terms of what's new, my mom, we sold her property in Windsor. It was a duplex conversion. It That property was the toughest challenge in my entire real estate journey so far. And that was just because of uncooperative occupants not letting the contractors finish the, the basement secondary suite, even though they didn't have access to the basement. They broke a lot of laws, not the contractors, the, the, the occupants, right? They weren't like they, they blocked the door. So the contractors couldn't go in. So this was a year long process and something that should have really taken four to four months, five months. But yeah, we finally got it done, listed it on the market and got it sold even with the occupants still there in the upper unit. And that's a great thing because in this market, it does not matter what quality of people are are, are living in the unit. Someone's going to buy it because the market is just so hot. So I just. Thought it was the perfect time. Get rid of one headache, take the funds out. My mom made a healthy profit and move on to the next one. In terms of wholesaling, just been really dialed down in the networking portion and and systemizing the business. We got a couple of good deals on the go. We actually wholesaled a property in Etobicoke. We made quite a quite a fancy fee on that and it sold in less than 24 hours so that was it was a huge win for me that week but yeah just working through some lead systemizing and, and networking what type of buyers are buying in etobicoke like was it like what type of people did you have are they doing like the burr like buy and hold or like what's the strategy now yeah so we're so really our focus also is to build our buyers list so we make sure we have the right buyers for different properties i had no idea that we had uh toronto developers and fix and flippers in toronto who are on our buyers list and the only reason i knew that was because um, when we ended up shooting that email got a ton of responses majority of them are developers majority of them are fix and flippers a lot of them are cash buyers like a significant uh, quantity of them and what we've been doing to increase the buyers list one of the things is we're going on facebook and we're just scraping every email because every wholesale is like oh i have a deal in toronto drop your email below Oh, blah, blah, blah. Drop your email below. And we're just copying all of those emails and adding them onto our list. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think I, cause I don't, I'm not sure how we got that reach. I'm pretty sure it came from the Facebook, just scraping emails everywhere. How about you, Matt? What, what's been going on on your side of things? I've been trying to just keep it status quo. What was that? 
Your Belleville flip, that's sold or? We're listing it on the market this Tuesday. So we'll see how it goes. Like, I'm pretty optimistic on that one. Mm-hmm. I had a flip in tiny Ontario that we were planning to just wholetail, like take it to the market and listen and see what happens. And then we got a, we did an inspection because I was like, you know what? I don't want like anyone to come in here with an inspection clause. So I'll just do an inspection in advance and like see what issues there are and like give it to everyone. And then no one has an excuse. And then the inspection came up with like a little bit of mold under the staircase. Right. So now I'm kind of like, and then the inspector was like to properly like re- remediate mold. You kind of have to gut that little area. So I was like, okay, if I'm gutting like a third of the basement, how far am I from like, just, just doing the basement and, yeah. and then once you're doing the basement are you really not going to touch the upstairs so so i i went back up there this weekend had got a couple of quotes done and things like that in the meantime like my parents so i'm on the opposite side of where you're at so my parents all the time like they haven't really like invested with me or anything like that and and, and my mom's kind of like you know what like we're getting close to retirement like some nice like cash flow would be nice so they've actually just asked me to they were looking at like properties and uh, man it was so bad they were looking at properties in Scarborough that were like townhouses for like 600 K. And then they'd ask me like what I think. And I'm like, how much are you going to rent that out for like 1800, two grand? Maybe it's going to be cash flow negative, no matter how you look at it. And then you're going into retirement. It's like, do you really want a cash flow negative property in retirement? Even if the value does go up, like what, what is that? Unnecessary risk at that yeah. age. I feel like if you're going to retirement, you're not going to wait 30 years for appreciation. or Yeah. 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 So, so most people know that I, I bought an eight plex and a seven plex in New Brunswick. So they were kind of like, look, like if you've got like people out there that can manage all this stuff, like why don't you just buy one for us? So now I'm looking for them and that's a whole other level of stress. Like when it's my money, it's like, yeah, like I'll buy it. I'll, I'll take a chance. Like if it doesn't go according to plan, like it is what it is. Well, but let me give you some quick tips. Why you <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> buy something turnkey. Right. That, don't try to exactly burn their properties because that's going to be a headache and a half. You like going back to your parents is like the absolute worst. Yeah. Yeah. Not because like, yeah, you feel bad, but at the same time, they give you a shit. Like it's so yeah. much shit. Well, so, so what I, what I'm basically doing, like in my head, the way I'm looking at it is I'm going to cover their downside risk and then like let them reap the benefits of the upside risk. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, I did that too. Right. <laughs> like I'm floating 50 grand in cost. Right. <laughs> Um, but, but you're right. Like, that's exactly like, I'm not looking to buy a bearable property for them. I'm looking to buy something more turnkey where I can structure like favorable terms. Like one, so that's, I posted in the rise group the other day. I had two duplexes off markets that were like potentials. One was with like a VTB. I don't think they're really crazy about that. And then the other one was with like a, a credit on closing in exchange awesome. for like not doing like certain work X, Y, and Z. Right. That's um, awesome. So that's what I'm looking at right now, man. Good location um, as well though. That's important because you don't want to do any Yeah, anything. yeah, yeah. They're both they're both really good locations. And okay. like it's it's interesting. New Brunswick's like a very different market. Like we talk about location, location here, also because like you have such a big tenant risk in Ontario. But once you take once you minimize the impact of that tenant risk, I mean there's still the risk that someone could like completely like trash your unit, right? Mm-hmm. But it's still minimized in the sense that you're not gonna be an LTV for a year and like trying to get people out. Exactly. So uh yeah, we 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 caught up on a lot. That is, that is great. It's refreshing to be back on this preamble and just to catch up with you. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking to Brooke Shang. And Brooke is actually a, a stay-at-home mom turned to a management consultant. And now she's financially free through real estate investing. She went to Schulich School of Business, got her degree there. And at, while she was working as a management consultant, which we all know is a quite a, a, a tough job, right? A lot of hours, a lot of stress. She was still able to expand her real estate portfolio. And she got to the point where she was able to become financially free through her investments. And that comes with a mix of rent to own or also known as lease options. 
that's the main strategy. That's all. That's what we're going to dig down into in today's episode. But she's also done uh, several other things, conversions, uh, private lending deals, joint venture partners. So she is quite knowledgeable in the real estate scene. She's done a lot. She's accomplished a phenomenal amount in, in a relatively short period of time. And this is going to be an exciting episode. For those of you guys who don't know the rent to own strategy, this is a must listen. It's something that you could potentially pursue as well. It's a nice strategy to add into your real estate portfolio. So hope you guys enjoy this episode. Make sure not to miss this one out. Hello, everyone. I am joined here with Brooke and Mayu is not going to be in this episode because he has an emergency to attend to. But this is awesome. Brooke, how's everything going? It's been going great, actually, despite of everything that's happening in life, right? It's as good as it gets. You know what? For real estate investors, a, a, a could have gotten a lot worse, but you know what? I think we're staying strong. It actually went surprisingly well since since the pandemic happened in terms of prices. Is that what you're seeing as well on your portfolio side? Yes. And then another good thing is, you know, the interest rate are going down, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> and it's going to be yeah. down for like the next two years. So, you know, yeah, you guys so I've gonna... actually seen it. Yeah. The cash flow is better. Definitely, the lower definitely. Have you been refinancing your properties or not just yet? Like in terms of like breaking the interest and, and, refinancing it at cheaper interest rates? No, I'm actually, I have mostly variable rates. So they just went down. Smart, smart. So I actually want you to give a quick background on yourself and the viewers who might not be familiar with who you are. Just on a quick high level, who are you? How many properties do you have? What's your investing strategy? And then we can dig deeper into your story after that. I've been seriously investing in for four years. So before that I was casually investing, we had a condo in downtown that used to be our home. That's where we started and where we had the equity to buy a home and, and also invest in other properties. And then I actually stayed at home for 10 years. So I wasn't working for about 10 years. After I started working, I actually wanted to do something more. So I, I figured I wanted to do real estate because that's where I see a lot of people making their money. I also saw our properties generating wealth for us. So after I got educated, I decided to focus on lease options. So rent your own basically, because it's a very creative strategy. So when I learned about it, I'm like, oh, I really want to do it. I want to try out different tools that I just learned. So that's where my focus is, a lease option. I mainly do JVs with my money partners. So my properties are throughout Southern Ontario actually. I've stopped counting my properties and <laughs> <laughs> because I really think it's not how many doors you have. It's what your properties do for you. Because when we just have one door, which is a one or two doors, which was a condo, there isn't much cash flow. So it doesn't matter if you have 10 of those that doesn't do you, it doesn't help you reach your goals or generate wealth. So that's when I start to look at different strategies. So besides lease options, I've also done a few duplex conversions. I'm doing more private lending lately just because, you know, then you don't have to be as busy. So more passive as well. Yeah. So I've done quite a lot of different things. My focus is lease option though. That's amazing. So in four years, you dabbled around all of these different little strategies. So I'm curious. So at the beginning, you mentioned that you started off with a condo in downtown Toronto. That was not meant for an investment whatsoever, right? Like you just bought it as a place to live in? Yeah, that was our home. And then we moved to a little house in Midtown. So that's where a lot of Toronto families migrate to, right? The next step is to move to a home, move to a house. I mean, to be on the ground. 
So we just rented out our first home and we used the equity from our first home to get where we are today. And, and were you familiar <laughs> with that strategy at all? Or were you just like, hmm, wow. No, no. the bank was telling us, you know, you can pull a HELOC. Actually, when we first had HELOC, we didn't touch it at all. It was just there. You know That's how you crazy. pay off your mortgage and then um, it converts to your HELOC? We didn't like that at that point. We weren't investors. Yeah, it's such a powerful strategy and non-investors kind of get worried because you're getting yourself into more debt. Technically, you are driving yourself into more debt, but it's for the purpose of building wealth, right? And you're, and you're using this money to make intelligent decisions. So you, you got your condo, you refied it, you bought a, a detached house in Midtown, which I'm sure the property valuations there went insane. And then from there, when was it that you actually started sitting down and researching the different strategies? And what was the first, I guess, I'm not going to say real investment, but the first investment with intention behind it that you bought. Behind it. Yeah. Yeah. We're actually in a semi-detached right now, actually, in Midtown. Yes, the value went up a lot. So that was end of 2016. I got educated. And then my first of, first property after that was actually in Windsor. <laughs> so we're... Hooray. You know, <laughs> as you know, that's yeah. my favorite market. <laughs> yeah. So the funny thing is at that time, most people advise against that because Windsor wasn't a, a, a popular market at that time and people didn't see much appreciation. Mm -hmm. And it was a really cheap house actually. So it didn't look that great. Um, it's a three bedroom. We added another bedroom to for only $5,000 to add another bedroom. The house was just over $100,000. So very affordable. And that's, the, that's when I started to see cash flow or you know, the 1% rule where you see, you know, your rent is actually covering all the expenses and you actually get a profit out of it. So yeah, my first one is that house. And then the second deal I had after that was lease option, rent to own. Okay. So first deal was a Windsor house and that was where you saw cash flow, and then you decided to do rent to own. So for those people who don't know in the audience, what is rent to own? And I think it's also called lease is a lease to own rent to own. Like there's two, there's two ways to call it. Right. So, so what is that strategy? I know that you're big into it. Yeah. So it's basically called lease option because while the tenant, we call it tenant buyer, call them tenant buyers. While they're still renting, they have the option to purchase a property in two to four years. So the purpose is for the tenant buyer to eventually own the property and get a mortgage to buy it. Um, that's why it's called lease option because you lease first and then you have the option to purchase. And then for the investor, the cash flow is really good and you have somebody who is committed to be homeowners to take care of your property. It's a more advanced strategy. That's why I love it. It's very creative. And what happens is when the tenant buyer comes in, they put in what's called initial option consideration so that means they have a stake in the game and what they put in, you could use it to close a property or, you know, to be part of your down payment. Gotcha. So can we go through a real life example? Actually, maybe if we put numbers behind it, it will start to make a bit more sense. So let's say yeah. that, you, I don't know, let's just use like easy round numbers. You, let, let's say you have a house for rent and the mm -hmm. market rent is $500. Okay. How much would I be renting from you if I wanted a lease to own option? Am I paying market rent or am I paying a premium on it? You do for the lease portion, you pay up the market rent. So where there is premium is where is the lease option portion. Okay. So the tenant buyer comes in to pay the market rent to cover the landlord's expense in terms of pity. So mortgage, principal, interest, property tax, and insurance. 
And you know, that's basically what your rent covers, right? In any rental situation. And on top of that, the tenant puts in what's called monthly option. So that gives them the option to buy. What we do is at the end of the program, that's converted to down payment for them to buy the property. So say for example, because you use five hundred dollars. Or you know what? You why don't you use numbers that you're more comfortable with? <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you really simple numbers. So okay. for a property we purchase, is right now a property we purchase just outside of Kingston. It's one hundred sixty thousand dollars. Wow. So the rent is twelve hundred dollars, and then the option portion is, for example, seven hundred dollars. So how that's calculated is we help tenant buyers to get to 10% of down payment in the end of the program. So even though we, we bought it, say, at 160000 we appreciate it. So 4 or 5% per year, for example. So say, for example, they're purchasing the property at 180 at the end. So we help them save up 10%, meaning they have to have 18000 saved up by then. So what happened is they come in the program, say, with $10,000, they, they have to put in the commitment of initial option consideration. That means they have to save up another 8,000. So in three years, divide that by 36. So every month it's 8,000 divided by 36 per month on top of the rent. Gotcha. Okay. So they're putting a premium upfront for the option to purchase mm -hmm. the house in two, three, four years, or whatever the timeline is. And then yeah. they're renting the place from you. And on top of the rent, they're paying a premium on it. And that's going towards their down payment to purchase the house in three, four, five, however many years that you, you agree with them, right? At the end of the program, yeah. We don't use the term down payment yet. <laughs> that's intentional because they don't have equity yet. Mm -hmm. it, it's converted to down payment when they're ready to buy. Uh, it's an option. Yeah, so it's an option. Mm -hmm. And then if they execute that option then mm -hmm. that is converted to down payment. Okay. So that makes hey. sense. Out of, out of curiosity. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that the cash flow was higher. Why is that the case? Because, or is it only higher if they don't execute their option? No, the monthly rent and monthly option is already determined as soon as they come in the program. So besides the market rent on top of that, there's the monthly option. So they put that in monthly. So that's part of your cash flow as well. You, you know that single family homes are sometimes really hard to cash flow, right? Yeah. Yeah. So for all the rent to owns I've done, I make sure just the rent portion will cash flow. So say for example, my ex we don't pay any utility. Everything is besides the pity payment. So besides the mortgage property, tax and insurance is paid by the tenant. They pay for repair, they pay for upgrades, all the utility, et cetera. So we know how much we have to put in. So basically, the rent will cover that portion plus a little bit. So I tell the tenant, you know, we're buying this house for you. It's the house of your choice. Mm -hmm. So the rent portion has to cover that plus the premium. And so why would a tenant decide to do a rent to own situation? Because technically it is by the time the term ends, it's 10% down. Why can't they just opt out? If it's if the house is a hundred thousand or hundred sixty thousand, whatever you bought that cheap single family house, why couldn't they just go five percent down payment with the traditional mm -hmm. A lender bank, right? Because that ten k yeah. would probably get them close there. Right. I I know there are some people suggesting five percent. However, there is also closing cost, and mm -hmm. usually their credit is not the best. For example, some some people came in their credit are okay, just need a little bit of help to fix. But still, you know how the lending rules changes, right? 
and you never know by then if it's going to be harder for them. So we make sure they have at least 10% saved up. And, so that's a chance. What would be the appeal of a tenant to do a rent to own option rather than just buy at the market again, just putting minimum down payment? Is it is there like a specific profile of tenants that you're looking at that would do the rent to own option? Like what? Because mm-hmm. because you can either buy or do rent to own, I guess, right? Or or lease yeah. regular rental. But let's forget about that for a second. Yeah. What's the difference in, in tenant quality between someone who's just going to buy a property, well, mm-hmm. or someone who will fit the rent to own program, which like, what, what are the differences in the characteristics of people? The profile? Yeah. I have quite a few newcomers. So if they're immigrants, they have zero credit. Their credit is not bad, but it's fixable. They just need that time to build it up. So that's the kind of people who will be interested in the program. You're asking why don't they just, for example, save up or get a B lender, for example. I do have tenants, they look at both options because sometimes the referrals from mortgage broker, they have the option of pay a really expensive fee lender, private money, or do a rent to own. They do have that option. Mm. For some people, it's using that time to fix their credit, for example. Some are self-employed. You know, self-employed people, they might not have consistent income mm. to show for, for at least two or three years, right? After they build their business. So they could use that period of time to build it. And this is the kind of tenant buyer I usually see. And the reason people come in is, okay, if they save, save for three, four years. However, they want to get in now. And, you know, you never know how the market will, will do. So if we let them know what their purchase price is, and we're actually monitoring it professionally with the mortgage broker and let them know they have to save up, kind of for saving, right? Mm. And they at least have professional help and they know what their purchase price is in three years. Of knock on wood, because I think you and I, we started at the time the market is great. So there's great appreciation. So for them, usually after two or three years, they already see that their, per- their purchase price already includes some equity in it for them. So for example, after one year of, of rent to own, usually my tenant buyer already see the property value at the price they're purchased they're intending to purchase in three or four years. So that means there's already equity for them, right? No, that's so, awesome. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, it's kind of like a, like, it's not exactly like a pre-con, but it kind of is where you're building in some appreciation for yourself. So let's say that you're giving the tenant the option to buy the property in two years. Are you, are you, I'm guessing you're building in what, like three to 4% per year, or is it sometimes more or less? Mm-hmm. Usually more than that, because we're okay. in Ontario. However, I never build it more than 7% or so. We're very conservative. I mean, you know, the market went, went up like four, 14%. Uh, and yes. I was seeing like 26. We're not going to do that because we're not speculating. We're doing rent to because of control. You control the profit. You know in the beginning what you, pretty much what your cash flow is already, right? So that's, that's where the strategy is different from other strategy. It's different from pre-construction in the sense that we're more like a mortgage for the tenant buyers because we're basically breaching it for them during this time. Like they're homeowners in the sense mm-hmm. that the mindset is not renters anymore. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. they put in sort of like, like a commitment already. To that get makes it. sense. And their credit score isn't the best. So what are you doing mm-hmm. in regards to that? Because they're going to have to qualify for a mortgage somewhere down the line. Are you guys helping <laughs> them with the credit score or are they kind of just... You just leave them on to figure it out on their own. We do 
we do help them out with that. One thing I do is periodically make them check their credit score. Seriously, it's not that hard to fix. <laughs> if people just pay attention to it, I have a lot of people, it's just their habit. They don't like to use credit card. They like to use cash, for example. We have credit specialists that can also help them. But there's simple things they can do, right? Just use your credit card or monitor, even if they just monitor it every few months, then they know what they're supposed to do. When they come in, we already look through their credit reports. We know where we can help them, right? So we'll change their habit a little bit. Sometimes, you know, the funny thing is it's not really a huge change sometimes because for rental, they do have to come in with a premium, right? So if they just don't eat out as much, you know, or, you know, it's $60 here, $80 there, and then it adds up. Yeah, so we, we, we put that into consideration as well. Sometimes we would even suggest maybe pay this off first or what's in your proposal, that kind of thing. So yeah. it's really kind of free financial advice as well. So you guys kind of sit down, open up the financial picture, take a look and give them recommendations on one, how can they save more money and, <laughs> and right, like build better spending habits? Because I mm -hmm. would assume that for some people, that's what got them with not the great credit score in the first place. And two is, yeah. is that what can they do to repair it? So by the time they are buying the property from you guys, ideally, they can qualify with an A lender bank or at the very least qualify with the bank where the interest rates, they're not robbing you with the interest rates, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and also sometimes even if they only qualify with a 10% down, we know of course there is a premium, right? Mm -hmm. However, also consider that they've been paying a premium in the rental program. So they are trained to stretch it a little bit, even if they have to pay for mortgage insurance or do pay for a premium. So get it helps. No, that, that totally makes sense. Uh, what I'm curious about is uh, where you're finding these tenants or these, what'd you call them? Tenant future homeowners. Where are you finding them? Because this uh -huh. sounds like a very attractive strategy. Like one, you get to lock in your gains. So you know what you're going to be getting out. Like, as you were saying, you know what your returns are going to be Two, You mm -hmm. are getting a bit more cash flow as well. And three, you have someone that's probably going to take pride in owning the house yeah. because they're planning to buy it. Where are you finding these people? Because not many people are familiar with this program. Yeah, you're right. I have referrals right now. They're wholesalers who sell these deals. There are also mortgage brokers who understand the strategy, then we can get referrals from them. I've also had, had contacts through, you know, sometimes tenant groups, their Facebook groups that I sometimes reply, uh, replies to answer their questions. And sometimes they don't, they don't know what it is, but then they would be curious once you suggest what it is as well mm. another thing is i also do private lending so sometimes when they are presented with the options of getting getting private money or doing a rent to own then at least i can speak to how expensive it could be for them and some, even if they don't come to the rental program with me at least i can help them out or direct them to the right place to go sometimes it's so expensive and and they keep you know getting themselves into problems like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least we're also, like we mentioned, helping them to build their credits too. If they don't, they'll keep getting into the same situation. I've seen people get constantly getting private money and, you know, just they, they probably find equity somewhere or they have something as a collateral. So they could get private money. However, they're going to constantly paying premium or not fixing their credit without professional help. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it seems like it's really a lot of hustle. It's just really a networking type of game. If someone like me who has no experience or an audience who has no experience and let's say they don't have much network into the rent to own game, is it feasible for someone to start rent to own immediately or do they need to work on building not only the right knowledge, but meeting the right people to find the potential tenants? I will say get educated first. And I mean, you and I both are advocates of education because there's a lot of moving parts in it. It's not hard once you get started. Actually, my first deal, I just post on Kijiji. I just post on Kijiji, free ads, right? And at that time, I I didn't have a lot of capital to start. So I just keep posting because you know how Kijiji bumps your ad to the bottom. (laughs) So I just keep bumping it, bumping it up and answer questions and, you know, answering calls. However, that's very time consuming. I still recommend that because you learn so much by talking to people. I did talk to a lot of people. I don't do that anymore because mostly deals are from referrals. However, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to start, that's how I started. And it's not impossible. How hard it is to put up a Kijiji <laughs> at now, right? Yeah, it's really you have time or money. At this point, it's not worth your time as much, right? Like your time is better spent finding the deals, building the right team members and stuff. But when you're starting off, you do have to kind of do that grind. Like it's not glamorous, it's not fun, but it's a part of the journey. Yeah, and then you can speak to it, right? Because this is your business. Even if you're, this, at that point it was actually wholesaling because I, I, I did wholesale my first two deals. So I think now people do also Facebook Marketplace. That was like two, three, that was like more than three years ago. So I think Marketplace is much more popular now. And yeah, so there are other revenues, right? I know people do Google ads as well or mm-hmm. Google search. That, nah, that um, totally makes sense. Have you ever incorporated, like I'm just thinking, have you ever incorporated mm-hmm. the birth strategy with a rent to own? Cause you could technically, mm-hmm. right? Like that, that would be a pretty awesome strategy. Have you done that yourself? I could definitely do it. I have a few births myself. However, there's a lot of moving components to a borough and also mm-hmm. rent to own. I have the team. If they want to do that, definitely. However, Usually after you birth, who's going to pay for it, for the renovation, for example, because te- also usually the steps for a tenant buyer, they have to do a renters first. Renters become homeowners mm-hmm. and then homeowners have to have the mindset of investor. That's usually the progression of people doing investments. They're renters then we train them to be homeowners. Then, you know, like me or some other investor build equity, then they want to be investors. Of course, we're not more educated or experienced. We know you don't have to have money to start. Mm-hmm. You can OPM use other people's money. However, when we looked at it, there is it worth it for me? So I think one thing that could help if somebody wants to do that, definitely. And I can help them do that. However, the tenant buyer has to qualify for the after repair value. And somebody has to come in yeah. also with, with the renovation. Uh, the money, the funds for renovation. What could help is if we put a tenant in the basement and if they live in the main unit, that could help with it. However, during this time, there's also more management in terms of who's going to manage the basement tenant, right? And another reason I want to do rent to own is I actually have quite a few regular tenants. And this year is actually the year I had the most tenant issues. I've actually encountered any tenant issue you have thought of. Not paying, of course, or illegal substance in the unit, or somebody just was in rehab without me knowing, couldn't find a tenant, or 
you know, anything you can think of, or they trash the unit, for example, or tenant have issues, especially duplexes, and then not getting along because they're on top of each other, things like that. So the reason I do rent to them is to separate from that. Gotcha. So Mm-hmm. That's interesting, actually. So talking about the tenant issues of rent to own, I, I would have imagined that the quality would be much higher, just because again, like we're talking about these people eventually want to be homeowners, they're taking the right steps, or they're at least trying, at the very least to take the right steps to better their credit mm-hmm. history. And they gave you a deposit. That's a big thing. They gave <laughs> you a deposit that is non refundable, right? So that do you know what the reason is for 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 this is is there a particular pattern you've been seeing the reason for people to want to be a tenant buyer you mean no 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 the reason that i mean they just stop paying rent they're destroying the place all of that stuff is it mm-hmm. is it is it just kind of is it like any other real estate transaction where that's just the risk of it because i would think that rent to own would mitigate that risk because they're putting in 10k up front mm-hmm. so why would they trash the house that they're going to eventually buy yeah, usually they, they actually one of the things I want to make sure the tenant buyers don't do is overspend, upgrade the house and ruin their credit again. So they, they look at it as their house. The question I usually get is, can I upgrade the house? And I, I usually will say, let's see if you have the funds to do it, not ruining your credit. So their mentality is already different, right? Because mm. tenant, the average is less than two years. I know you have regular tenants that turn over, I think average one to two years is pretty normal. So tenant buyers, they know they're going to be there in the long haul. That, so that's the first thing, right? So they don't want to ruin it. And surprisingly, again, they are the kind of people who will be able to qualify for a mortgage at the end of the term. So actually their income or household income level is, is above average in general, because you know how much Southern natural property values are, are at these dates, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Just out of curiosity, with the market going a bit crazy now, we're seeing house prices increase, which means that rent to own, I'm just thinking through this right now, it's harder to find qualifying tenants for rent to own. One, they have to be able to qualify for the increase in prices that like it has been absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. Two, the rent prices itself are insane now, ridiculous, yeah. anywhere you go in Ontario. So how are they paying a premium on top of the rent at this point? Are you finding it's much more difficult to find the right tenant for a rent to own? I found it harder to get a property and not find a tenant buyer because you see how many people are buying homes on the market. So there are people wanting to get into a home. What I found is we used to focus on detached family homes now we're looking into semis. In the past, most people want a three bedroom, two bath. So now we probably have to settle for two plus one or a two bedroom. Mm. So the problem, well, what's harder is to secure a property, right? And as investors, we usually don't go in with a very aggressive offer. We like asset class, we, we make sure we're secure, we're protected. However, now we have to consider go over asking, which we, we never used to do as investors or, you know, money in the buy, right? That's what we're aiming for. Mm-hmm. So we didn't used to do that. However, in the past two lease option I did, we did go over asking. And the last one, well, I secure one today. Well, the last one was a semi. So well, that, never- that's great. That, that's awesome. Congratulations on that. Yeah, we've been seeing that in every city in Ontario, even like the cities I had no idea like what the hell city this was. Like, <laughs> apparently there's multiple offers in, in every single place in Ontario now. Yeah, no, because off the top of my head, I was just thinking, 
man, like rent enough, like in Windsor, or I can speak to Windsor, rent has like mm-hmm. m- pretty much doubled from where it used to be, maybe even more. Mm-hmm. And people, I like, it, it just makes me question, like, how are people, one, affording the rent? Two, how are they affording the premium on top of the rent, right? Like, that's why yeah. I was thinking the quality, either the quality of buyers now or mm-hmm. the amount of buyers available have probably decreased in rent to own or is that am mm-hmm. i is that assumption wrong what i found is now we probably need more people to qualify in the household yeah so okay. instead of one person qualifying probably two and sometimes also their adult kids mm-hmm. actually there are more adult kids living at home these days so also i have rental where the family qualifies and then the the father of the owner also helped to qualify as well so yes maybe it might be more expensive and harder in in some sense there are ways right so Mm -hmm. for example have more people coming in to qualify and there are more people living in the household too i've had grandparents living with the family i've had adult kids living in the family and i don't think that's just rental you probably see that more in in, in general, gym. yeah. Yeah, because it's just harder to buy a house in general. No, for sure. And what is the success rate generally with rent-to-owns? Because I've heard anywhere from 50-50, like 50% of the time people will end up buying the property. The other 50% of the time at the end of the lease, they'll say, you can keep all of my premium. You can keep the option I gave you. I'm leaving, right? Like what, yeah. what ratio have you been seeing? Actually, like you, I, I haven't actually started real estate investing for that long. All my mm. rent-to-owns are current. So oh. they haven't come to the end of the term yet. However, all of them are on track so far and all the property value are more than what their option contract prices. I, I think we're just lucky because of the Ontario market right now. However, I do have one or two tenants. They lost their job during COVID or they're unemployed. For example, I've given them, well, we're like the bank. So I sort of give them the deferral of the option portion. So it's like the bank giving them the deferral mortgage. And I do go back to say, you know, if, if you can put in a little bit more, they are putting in more. And I'm giving the option to tenants that have been paying in. I understand what their situations are. Legally with a contract, I can get them out already. I mean, I can say they, they didn't follow the contract and void the option contract. However, I didn't do that because I understand during this time. It's not easy for everybody. And all my rental still cash flow, just the rent portion. Even if, even if they're fam- single family homes in Southern Ontario, they are still cash flowing. So luckily all my investors are willing to work with me and work with the tenants too. So instead we don't even, we don't just give them an extension. So even, you know, sometimes give them a gift card. So it's Christmas season, help them out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And they, they do appreciate that. We're not here to, you know, just make money. We're also here to make sure they reach your end goal as well. That, no, that's amazing. So I'm assuming a lot of your rent to owns the terms are three years plus then, right? Because you've been doing this for about four years. So longer, longer terms. Is that what you typically see? Is it usually three years? Or I've heard as little as two years, actually. Most of mine are three years and four years. Okay. I know there are people who are, who are saying, oh, let's give it a shot to do two years. However, as you know, you, you need to show two years of consistent income, for example, to qualify for mortgage. So sometimes tenants really want to get out in two mm. years. And on top of that, do they have enough time to save up the option option payments? So say the 10%, if 36 months, 48 months is squeezed to 24 months, that means their monthly payment is a lot more. 
-hmm. right? So that puts extra pressure on them. Would they want to do that? Or I, I give them the option. Sometimes I say, okay, if you can do that, let's do that. And I'll give you an option to pay a lump sum if, if you can do that. However, if it's not easy. And I love the fact that they're inspired to do that. However, I think it's more realistic to say it's three years or more now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause also if you, if, if you amortize it in one year or two years, they need to pay a higher premium because they got to hit exactly. that 10% down payment mark regardless. Right. So the longer yeah. it is, the better it is for them anyways. Maybe that's why you're finding a lot of success is because your term is much longer. So you're not like they're, it's much more manageable for these people and they have time mm -hmm. to, again, build their credit history, take their time, kind of rewire their brain because a lot of the time they're wired mm -hmm. to spend or not make the most savvy financial decisions. So you have four years to rewire the brain so that they're on track to do it. So that, that actually does make a lot of sense. Cool. Yeah. And also because it's funny, people don't think they can save up. You, you actually could. You know, and it's only like two to four years, right? So if they just save up during this time, right, work a little bit harder towards savings, they could do it. Oh, actually, another thing about about COVID is people don't eat out as much, right? So mm -hmm. there's actually some savings there too. I understand some people might be losing their jobs or temporarily laid off, for example. Uh, on the other hand, we're going to spend, we're going to travel to or splurge. So there's still opportunity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And what happens if they don't close on the property? They're just like, they, mm -hmm. they don't want to buy it or, and they're on their way to rent another place. Do you typically, are you, are you just fixing it up and just relisting it on the market or what would you do? And I know you haven't hit that mm -hmm. crossroads yet, but if it mm -hmm. does come up and someone's like, yeah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to close on it. What are you going to do in that situation? I'm, I'm guessing you're going to sell uh -huh. it or try it again. It also depends on my investor. I will certainly have a talk with my investor, mm. what we want to do as a team. I will say sometimes we will extend it and then see if they're willing to save up a little bit more if they're not able to buy right now. Usually it's not because they just they just give up their money and, and not wanting to end, to finish the program. It's usually something happens in life. And you know, a lot of times, you know, if there's health issues or there's divorce in the family, it's usually change of situation at home. It's something we could probably give them a little bit more time to work it out. Or we could definitely sell it, right? We could do that. I've also known people who really want to get, um, for example, if they cannot qualify in three, three years, four years. I've also seen deals on the market where the previous investor want to sell the deal. They don't want to deal with another year or two. And there are other people buying the deals and pick it up because you're getting the property at a, a big discount, right? Yeah. For example, at the purchase price. So there's a lot other options too. You can continue to rent or sell it or have somebody else pick it up and continue the rental program or just continue with them. Gotcha. If the okay. So sorry, you said that you can sell, you can sell the property while you have a rent to own going on. Like if you, or, or no, you gotta, you gotta stick through the term. Okay. Oh wait, no, you can't sell the property obviously because mm -hmm. they have the option. The tenant should have the option to buy it. So pretty much you, right. mm -hmm. okay. So both sides are pretty much kind of committed and locked in, in a sense. So you cannot, you've agreed to sell this property to this tenant as long as they, as long as they want to buy it and they meet all of their payments and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So cool. that's, yeah. So our, our assumption was if they don't qualify, and they don't want to buy, right? That that was our assumption. Then what we we 
will do to deal with this situation. Yeah, so if they're, if we're, they're reaching the end of the term, they don't want to exercise the option, that's when we look at different options. Mm -hmm. And that, that initial fee, sorry, I know I'm kind of, I'm jumping all over the place, but that initial <laughs> fee that we mentioned a bit earlier, you mentioned there was a 10K fee to basically start up this option of the rent to own, right? They have to put down some money for that option. Is it always 10 grand or are you, is it based on purchase price or how are you dictating that, the, the initial fee? The option fee, is that what it's called? What did you call that? Initial option consideration. Initial option consideration, yeah. Yeah, so that really depends also on the property value. So if they're purchasing a property at a higher value, it would be more than that. Usually 10, 10K is a minimum because we, mm -hmm. we also have our cost. And if the property value is more, and we also look at the risk. So sometimes if, if the tenant we consider as more risk, we will require a higher initial option consideration as well. Okay, I gotcha. And with these rent-to-owns, do you have to own them out in cash or can you finance them with the bank? Like you personally, if I want to do a rent-to-own today and I buy a property, I'm like, I want to rent-to-own this. Will the A-Lander mm -hmm. banks finance that? Oh yeah, yeah. It's okay. just like investment property, 20% down. And that's what my investors are coming in to be part of Part of the team is to help qualify and come with the initial investment. We don't say down payment because besides the down payment, the tenant put in the initial option. So that would help with the closing cost too. So it's not just down payment, lawyer fee, land transfer tax. It could be less than that because the tenant puts in some initial option. And that's where we have money in the buy, like, like wholesalers do, or you know, when people want to get into a property. That is very sweet. Like now nah, I think about it. Yeah. Like I didn't even think about it a lot like that. You're putting in 20% down payment, let's say, but it's offset with the initial lease consideration. I hope consideration. Right. Yeah. I'll figure it out by the end of this episode, I'll get it right. But <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So aside from renter owns, what else are you up to nowadays? So you, you purchased a property. What, what else? Have, what's, what's been keeping you busy during COVID? Oh my God, a lot. So actually, I love investment. I don't think it's just about buying properties. I think it's about finding your goals, what you want to do with real estate. I think that's the same for you as well. Mm -hmm. It's not just about the number of properties. So what's the point if you're not cash flowing or you're getting $50, $50 per door? And then if you want to replace your income, what does that mean? You have to have a hundred doors mm -hmm. just to replace your working income. So I think it's about finding your goal and how to reach that goal and do it efficiently, right? So I, that's where my, where my passion is. I'm coaching right now. I, I'm actually looking for investors constantly. I'm still mm -hmm. doing the investment portion of it. However, I'm also helping other people to get into real estate. So I'm doing coaching as well with my company. I'm with Trust Your Talent. I'm a strategy coach on the team. Mm -hmm. And we are actually just starting this year. So this year has been crazy for me. I don't want to say it's busy because I enjoy what I'm doing. You enjoy it. You're not busy. You're just, you're just doing what you love, right? So besides that, I still have regular tenants. I have to have a few duplexes, which I'm unloading right now, actually. I think it's also because at different stages, our focus would change. Your goals would change. What you want to have in your portfolio would change as well, right? So it doesn't matter how many doors you have. It's about what the real estate investment is doing for you. 
I oh. 100% agree with that. I feel like real estate, and I've played, I, and shame, shamefully, I would admittedly say that I have played a part in that. How many doors do you have as an ego thing, right? But that, that, it, it really is ultimately about what lifestyle you want to create for yourself because right. if you, if you want to get financial freedom and you have a hundred doors, you have another job for yourself, <laughs> you know, like it's not, it might not be the lifestyle that you're looking for. So I love that you mentioned that it's not the door count that matters. It's what is your ideal lifestyle? Okay. Like what investments make sense for you to hit that lifestyle? Right. And rent to own is a more, it's not, it's definitely not a more passive strategy, but it is a less risky strategy if you may right so if you're a very risk adverse person rent to own will definitely be the way to go because you have the consideration you have premiums and you have better tenant quality there so i love that you mentioned that so you're doing coaching now you started this year how did that come about so trust your talent is still relatively young so because of covid everything is online this year so we're also trained to be on zoom and doing coaching and doing classes online as well so that's been doing well. We actually started to have a lot of new investors coming on board. So that's exciting, right? Because you probably remember how you started. Yeah. So I'm the same. I remember when I started and reflecting back on what we're doing as well. So when you mentioned like financial freedom, financial independence, mm-hmm. I, I do things, I do active investing as well. So, I mean, I've done wholesaling. Rental is actually a mix. Rental is passive and active mm-hmm. at the same time. There's also portfolio income because there's appreciation built in the contract as well. So I've done Burr as well. However, I I don't enjoy tenant management, actually. <laughs> the tenants are I don't think you're the only one. <laughs> I, can, I can agree <laughs> to that. Yeah, because as you know, also the... It's, it's not a, a matter of if, it's a matter of when, because if you go through enough tenants, you've gone through all the issues and you know what you have to deal with, right? So like you mentioned time, a lot of people come into real estate thinking, I want to get back my time. Now, how come I'm busier than ever? Then, you know, every problem we have is probably a sign to tell us to pivot, right? To look at your portfolio again. So maybe new year resolution for everybody to look at, you know, or periodically review what you have in your portfolio and see where you want to go and see if your portfolio is reaching your goals or what you set out to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I absolutely 100% agree with you. So Brooke, we're talking a bit offline and you mentioned big news, right? <laughs> you, you're working on a book, right? <laughs> What, what yeah. book is that? I, I, I love it's It's all about financial independence, hint, hint, but let's, let's chat a little bit about it. So I know that you went back to the corporate world for some while, and then you didn't have a blast there clearly. So you took the entrepreneurship route and now you're financially free once again. So that's phenomenal. What is this book that you wrote? And I want you to talk about <laughs> it a bit more. So the audience kind of knows what to expect from it. Sure. The funny thing is when I started, I thought I'll, I'll put in different strategies in each chapter. So I kind of evolve. I actually put in more mindset stuff than the actual strategy. I did talk about the strategy I use. So I passively invest in where well, other working partners are doing their deals. So I do private lending. I invest in multifamily, but as money partner and rental is my focus as well. So in my book, I do talk about these strategies I've used. 
However, it's a progression. So my book is mainly about the mindset in the beginning mm -hmm. so to set the readers ready. Because as you know, I think mindset is everything. No matter how many books you read or if, if you're just jumping to do a strategy, you're basically going without a map or without the foundation. So half of my book, or actually I think more than half of my book is about investor mindsets. And then I do go into different strategies. So all the strategies we talk about here, I also talk, talk about these strategies in my book and my actual deals or some simulations of deals using easier numbers and simplify the deals so that readers could understand how different strategy works and how it helped me reach my goal. So when I started, my goal was to replace my working income. I'm still working as a management consultant right now. Okay. Oh, okay. I thought you were tired. Okay. You're still working. Yeah. However, I can say I'm a, I'm a professional investor because I think I do just as much as full-time investors anyways. Mm -hmm. So the point is, okay, I, I know I could do this. And then my next goal is financial freedom, meaning my passive income will cover expenses. So even though I reach my first goal of replacing my working income, that means if I'm still working, like if you're still working for the bank, that means you doubled your income, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was my first goal. So I think another thing a lot of people ask, or I don't know if we're going to talk about it too, is where do you see yourself in five years or so, or three to five years, for example? Mm -hmm. I think that's a reasonable goal because this is not a getting rich quick quick scheme in one or two years or in a matter of months. It doesn't work that way. However, I think three to five years or it's a reasonable goal to, you know, make a certain amount of money or replace your income or, or reach certain passive income. So I think it's reasonable to reach that goal. However, if you don't strategically do it, then it could be 10 years, 20 years. It's like retirement plan, right? Then why do you do it? Then you're just like sitting there and waiting for a retirement money to grow. So I think for people who are seriously doing it, do it strategically and have a plan. So that's what my book is about. Set your mind, set the mindset and then set the strategy. Set, set what your goals are, then uh, find the strategy and then find the market that makes sense. For what you and I are doing, probably downtown Toronto is not a reasonable market to do it. So after that, find a market, then find a property last. Very important point that you said there. So a lot of people get stuck in analysis paralysis where they're just looking at deals. Mm -hmm. They're mm -hmm. reading books. They're understanding the strategy. The strategy is not complicated to understand. If you read a book or two, you figure it out fairly quickly or you watch a couple of YouTube videos, but yet they never pull the trigger, right? And yeah. it's the mindset that they have the issue with and they never come to grasp with that because honestly, when I started investing and we, we're both from a business background, you're management consulting, I'm in finance. Mm -hmm. Mindset yeah. is for us in school, it seems kind of tab. It seems kind of bullshit, right? It's like, oh, mindset, like it's not technical. Like why everything we learned in school is technical. Mindset is not mm -hmm. taught, right? Hence, when we get into the investing world where a lot of it is mindset, we're just fighting our own demons. We're fighting our own limiting beliefs that are stopping, yeah. us, stopping us from investing. But we know the technicals, right? It's not, it's not like it's too many people are focusing on learning the technicals, which is important but right. it doesn't take forever to learn it. It's hard to develop the mindset. That's where people should be focusing majority of their time at and some mm -hmm. of it on the technical stuff, right? So yeah. that, that was a really good point you brought up. Yeah, and you know how we're all here to help. I've seen your group. We're all eager to help each other. This is a great uh, community, by the way, mm -hmm. because I know we're sitting at home sometimes analyzing deals by ourselves, 
that's dry and boring and sometimes lonely. That's why we're, <laughs> we love the meetups, right? Because entrepreneurship, that's what it is about. We're kind of sometimes just working by ourselves. So it's great that this in the community, everybody understands and everybody's there to help. And the same thing for your group or the podcast or your Facebook group, for example, or even the coaching, I think the support is more important mm-hmm. where, what we're offering, right? Because a lot of people are offering technical um, or courses. We offer that as well. Mm-hmm. However, I think it's the coaching and mentors, mentoring that's really what people are looking for. Agreed. Yeah. So I have a real estate coach myself and it's the accountability aspect that matters the most to me. Like some mm-hmm. of the, yeah, I'm learning the technical stuff. I already know majority of the technical stuff and every now and then you pick up on some new stuff. It's like, Oh shit, that's pretty neat. But yeah. really the groundbreaking stuff is when you come to realizations on mindset, limiting beliefs, finding out things are feasible, having mm-hmm. a roadmap, having someone keep you accountable along the way. That's really where the value of a coach comes from. So if someone is trying to hire a coach solely for the fact yeah. that I want to learn how to do the birth strategy, read a book. I wouldn't, I wouldn't hire a coach just to learn how to do a strategy. Right. But yeah. if you're, I, if you're like, I want to, I, I know what my goal is. I want to hit financial freedom in five years, but I don't know exactly how to get a, get, get to that point. Right. So you kind of have mm-hmm. that limiting belief on yourself. Like I don't know how to get there. Then right. that's where you hire right. a coach. They'll help you reverse engineer it. Take these steps, yeah. do this homework, right? Mm-hmm. Network with these people. And then if you do that yeah. over time, you'll get, you'll get towards your goals. Yeah. And also be humble because anybody successful has a coach, right? Mm-hmm. LeBron James has a coach. They're already the best. Everybody who's the best also have a coach. So, you know, so be humble because we're always learning and it's, it's a good point accountability. And also you're among the people you're the average of the five people you're, you're with, right? So be in the right environment, be with a coach, be with the community that really helps a lot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Brooke, this was a wonderful conversation. We're going to jump right into the three questions that we ask everyone. I think we called it the lightning round, Pierce. I, we called it something, but yeah. over time, <laughs> we just totally didn't name it. We're like, all right, we're just going to call it the three questions we ask every guest. <laughs> the first question is, is that, Brooke, where are we going to see you five years from now? Oh my God. You know, the funny thing is, I, t- I asked myself that question three years ago, four years ago when I started, and I'm here. So I think I can continue to do this. My goals are just slightly bigger every year. So I, I love to do this. I think because I'm just starting to do coaching right now. Mm-hmm. So I want that part of my career to expand. So three or five years, I will continue to do this. My goals will be bigger, bigger cash flow, bigger net worth. And at the same time, I also want to see coaching expanding as part of, you know what? The funny thing is, it's also another stream of income. This, so I, yeah, so that will keep continuing and that will continue to grow. So I think in three to five years, I finished my first book. I think I'll continue to write more as well. So expand on what I'm doing now. Love it. So really just giving back to the community, educating others and touching people's lives. So th- that's cool stuff. And of course, also getting paid while doing that. That's important. <laughs> okay. So if you want $10 million, what would you do with it? Let's assume you cannot invest all of it. You got to spend some on yourself or have fun with some of it. What are you going to do with $10 million? Oh my goodness. I, I would definitely first donate some of the money for sure. Well, for tax purpose too. Why not? <laughs> and feel good about it. The the causes I'm usually interested in is related to kids because I have kids. I volunteered in school and usually related to kids. 
So that's where I would put majority of my money. Of course, I think I would still donate some of the money. I mean, sorry, invest some of the money, even though you said, okay, you cannot put a lot in investing. <laughs> I will continue to travel. I think I'm pretty lucky if not for COVID, I think I will continue to travel and have the lifestyle that I want. So continue that. And I actually, well, we did cruise and everything else as well. So I will continue to that, to do that. What I actually want to do is actually live in a different place for a period of time, not just travel to actually live awesome. my life. Yeah. So I think that's what we'll do for sure. Are you able to manage your business? Are you, are you working on managing the business from the cell phone? The coaching, definitely, because it can be virtual for sure. How about the rent-to-own stuff? Are you slowly developing the system so that it is completely virtual? Or is it at that point right now? Rent-to-own is actually pretty passive once you set the tenant, tenant up. Mm. So I was in Taiwan for more than two months in the summer. And I closed a few properties, sold the property. It doesn't matter. You can still do it. Actually, with COVID, I think it's more acceptable to be virtual, actually. And eat DocuSign and everything is more acceptable now. So I was able to do that while I was there. I was also doing coaching calls and stuff. The only, oh, no. thing, is, the only thing is time difference. So at 2 or 3 a.m., that's kind of hard. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but you know what? Like you, you, uh, you have location freedom. You can move anywhere. You can do anything, and you know that you're still able to make income regardless. So that, that's a pretty mm -hmm. liberating feeling. Exactly. Yeah. So I love that part of being an entrepreneur. It doesn't mean that you're working less. It's just the flexibility is there mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And our final question here is that if you can meet anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, okay. I definitely want to meet Oprah. I think it would be a great conversation. I follow her, whoever she recommends, the book she recommends, or the gurus or, or the inspirational speaker she spoke to. If they inspire me, I follow them. So definitely I would want to meet Oprah. For fun, I don't know if you watch Queer Eyes. <laughs> Anyways, it's a show on Netflix. So these are pretty fun people. So I would want to Ooh, meet is this the, is this the five people that change someone's life? Like there's one that cooks, there's one that does the interior renovations, motivate the motivation guy. I, I don't like him too much to be honest. <laughs> it's like, why is he here? Yeah. No, I yeah, I, I've watched a couple of episodes. It's really fun. Yeah, so I, I actually watched that show with my daughter on Netflix. That's our quality time before bed sometimes. We actually want to meet the the five guys. I, I would invite them for dinner because they're so much fun and funny. It might change. <laughs> These are the fun people I want to meet. I also want to meet Alan because she's funny. And yeah, so these are the people I want to have for dinner. With Oprah, I just want to have an intelligent conversation. conversation with her. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thanks so much, Rick, for joining us. There was a lot of golden nuggets, and we never actually even ever talked about the rent to own or lease to own strategy. So it's good that the audience is getting a taste of something new and adding more strategies to the toolkit. For anyone who wants to reach out to you or connect with you, where can they find you? Mm -hmm. I'm on Facebook. If you search for Brooke Shang, I'm the only one <laughs> on Facebook and also on LinkedIn. I'm also the only one. My Chinese name is pretty rare. That's why I think my last name, not too many people have my last name. So just Brooke Shang, you don't have to add any middle name or anything, you'll find me. Nice. And also it'll all be down in the show notes so you guys can click there. And I should mention this as well. Before we wrapped up, if you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure to like it, share it, 
I think you can comment on it in, in Apple or iTunes podcast. Do whatever you can to support this podcast. It keeps us going. Brooke, again, thank you so much for joining us. And guys, everyone out there, invest smarter and live better. Take care, all.